Now that the election is behind us, it's time to confront what lies in front of us. What does that look like? What ways forward are open to us? How do we get there from here? What the fuck are we dealing with anyway? Those are some of the topics of today's episode. I'm Phil Hansen, and you're listening to Full Stop Hard Left Turn, a podcast that advocates for immediate radical, social, political, and economic transformations in order to save society from itself and to save our crucial planetary life support systems from human excesses. High on the agenda are a multitude of critical issues like protecting and restoring the environment, establishing global peace, ending poverty, hunger, and homelessness, expanding health care to all, increasing working class prosperity, furthering education in unexpected directions, maximizing human potential, and so much more. Hop aboard and strap in. Your ride begins after this brief message. Full Stop Hard Left Turn is brought to you courtesy of Anchor, the free podcast hosting platform that makes it easy for anyone to start and run a podcast. Get to anchor.fm and let the experts guide you through the startup and production processes. If you're looking for a new challenge and are ready for change, podcasting might be your next big thing. Anchor.fm To get this episode off the starting grid, I want to quote in its entirety an insightful article by Caitlin Johnstone. You can follow Caitlin, that's Caitlin spelled with a C, at CaitlinJohnstone.com. The article, titled Humanity Has Trolled Itself Into an Awaken or Die Situation, is particularly relevant to the topic of today's discussion. There are a couple of points that I take exception to, but these are matters of degree related to causation and terminology, and not at all to matters of principle. Caitlin's observations were astute and spot-on. For additional clarity, I'll add my thoughts after I've read you the article. Also relevant are a couple of expert excerpts taken from Julia Thomas's brilliant essay, Why the Anthropocene is Not Climate Change, as published in Asia Global Online. I'll quote and then comment on these as well. Finally, to start start the green flag waving, I'll quote one of Jeffrey Smith's most profound thoughts. Jeffrey is a non-GMO activist, interviewer, public speaker, and true visionary of how society can evolve in this critical time of transition. Take what he says seriously. Special thanks to Caitlin Johnstone for her gracious generosity in allowing free use of humanity as troll itself into an awaken or die situation. Quote, Zen Buddhism is full of stories about practitioners staring death in the face in order to cut through their mental habits and force a direct confrontation with the fundamental matter. Monks doing Zazen on a cliff's edge to keep themselves alert. Roshis telling frustrated students to kill themselves if they cannot achieve Satori by next sunrise. 
students taking death vows if they fail to awaken within a given period of time, etc. In Helen Tworkoff's Zen in America, for example, we are told of the monk who sat with a stick of incense in one hand and a knife in the other and vowed to kill himself if he didn't get enlightened by the time the incense burned out. As always, at least in the stories that are passed down, he got it just in time, pushed to the breaking point by the pain of the burning stub. In a very real sense, I think this is kind of what humanity is collectively doing to itself right now. I don't recommend taking any melodramatic death vows to attain enlightenment or any harmful or life-threatening measures at all. Such things are typically just pleasing to the very egoic structures we're trying to see beyond when you enter into them deliberately and thus defeat the entire purpose. Still, it's hard not to notice that so many of the awakening stories we hear from enlightened masters sharing their experience involve moments of extreme existential crisis of one sort or another. Ramana Maharshi popped when gripped by a sudden fear of death. Eckhart Tolle while contemplating suicide. Byron Katie when a cockroach crawled over her foot during a debilitating depression in a squalid halfway house. In case after case, we see people pushed deep within themselves by existential crises, which force them to come to a true reckoning with reality. And now we see humanity as a collective in its own ex existential crisis as the ecosystem in which we evolve moves toward collapse. Nuclear armed nations move ever closer to direct confrontation and governments get more and more authoritarian while democracy and, transparently, and transparency continue to erode. We are hurtling in the direction of dystopia and Armageddon and the powerful elites in the driver's seat have made it abundantly clear that they have no intention of swerving from this trajectory. We cannot use democracy to turn this ship away from the iceberg because the democracy we've been given is a fake child steering wheel given to a toddler to play with so they can pretend they're driving. Even direct revolutionary action is completely barred from us as long as we are being successfully propagandized into consenting to the status quo by the manipulations of mainstream and social media corporations. So what can we do? What is the one exit we have allowed ourselves? As near as I can tell, the only door we have left open to ourselves as a species is a mass scale awakening. A collective, collective shift out of our unhealthy relationship with mental narrative and into a healthy one. A relationship with mental narrative where thoughts are no longer believed and identified with, but rather used as tools for surviving and thriving. Where propaganda narratives are no longer reflexively imbued with the power of belief because the egoic structures they're designed to plug into just aren't there anymore. You can't have change without a mass-scale people's movement. You can't have a mass-scale people's movement without neutering the propaganda engine designed to prevent it. You can't neuter the propaganda engine without a mass-scale awakening from humanity's unwholesome relationship with thought. It's fascinating, really. Somehow, some way, we've managed to trick ourselves into a situation 
where the only way for us to avert extinction is to realize on a mass scale the potential that sages have been pointing to for millennia. We've managed to perfectly troll ourselves into evolve or die time. As if guided by some strange deep wisdom, humanity has walked itself into a situation where it is holding the knife in one hand and the incense in the other, vowing to kill itself if it cannot attain collective enlightenment by the time the incense burns out. We didn't do it on purpose. We didn't do it because our egos found it to be an egoically gratifying crisis to put ourselves in. We just wound up here by some bizarre miracle completely out of left field. Something deep within us has put us in a position where we must necessarily rise for our full potential as a species or go the way of the dinosaur. We are beginning to feel the burn of the incense. It will get hotter and hotter. Will we pop? Will we wake up? I don't know. We either will or we won't. But for the moment, I can't help but stare in awe at humanity's crazy wisdom for getting itself into this mess. End quote. Caitlin calls it humanity's crazy wisdom. I call it humanity's lack of good sense. Humanity got itself into this mess because it shares a number of characteristics with rats. Among these shared traits are relative short attention spans, an attraction to shiny objects, and a rapacious nature. We didn't end up here because of some divine miracle or unfortunate accident. We ended up here because our destination aligned perfectly with the trajectory we've been on for more than 500 years. We heard the capitalist lies and believed them. We accepted capitalist mythology as true and radically but uncritically reshaped our lives and the lives of future generations to conform to those myths. In short, we bought the capitalist bullshit and made it our own. Now, for obvious reasons, capitalism is galloping full speed toward a sheer cliff and there is nothing that can stop it from going over the edge. Capitalists in denial will ride that pony over the cliff, but that doesn't mean that the rest of humanity has to follow. With why the Anthropocene is not climate change, Julia Thomas firmly establishes her identity as an outside-the-box thinker in terms of combating climate change. This is the first excerpt, excerpt from that essay. Quote, The Anthropocene's interrelated systematicity presents not a problem, but a multidimensional predicament. A problem might be solved often with a single technological tool produced by experts in a single field. But a predicament presents a challenging condition requiring resources and ideas of many kinds. We don't solve predicaments. Instead, we navigate through them. Collaboration among scientists, policymakers, social scientists, humanists, and community leaders is key to to contending with the Anthropocene. Technology is important, but the hardest challenges will be about how to alter our political and economic systems. Even the United Nations U.S. $24 million Millennium Ecosystem Assessment 2005 concluded that our current systems are not up to the task. We need significant changes in policies, institutions, and practices that are not currently underway. End quote. It's worth noting that 15 years after the Millennium Ecosystem Assessment, 
the significant changes in policies, institutions, and practices we so desperately need are still not underway. Here's a second ex excerpt from Julia's essay, quote, Slowing climate change is crucial, but navigating its challenges is only possible if, as, if it is understood as one facet of planetary overshoot. The challenges of our altered, unpredictable Earth system cannot be met by technological tinkering within the very systems that pushed it over the edge in the first place. There's nothing for it but to roll up our sleeves and begin the hard work of transforming our political and economic systems with the aims of decency and resilience." End quote. Julia suggests that transforming our political and economic systems are primary to addressing the challenges posed by climate change. I agree with that assessment. Our capitalist economic system is driving human extinction, and the only ways to stop it are to change the government that supports it and to change the collective mindset about what constitutes value. By simply changing our value system, we as a society can take a quantum leap forward. We must also change the way we think about lots of other things, including, but not limited to, such things as recognizing the environmental consequences associated with human economic activities, comparing our debt-based money supply to an asset-backed money supply, the way our economy functions and how it can evolve into something better, the way we define, create, and allocate work, and more importantly, how we reward work performed in the service of society at large. I'm talking about you, farmers, healthcare workers, and educators. It's time for economic justice to occupy a place in your respective careers. Finally, Jeffrey Smith weighs in with this, quote, let's take advantage of this critical window and initiate our own transformation. If we simply get our old lives back, it will become one of the greatest wasted opportunities in history." End quote. These excerpts provide context and meaning for why full stop, hard left turn exists. Each of these visionaries conveys a sense of urgency for transforming our society while delivering a message of hope that such a transformation is possible. However, Mrs. Ms. Thomas's essay goes far beyond the conventional thinking that portrays the Anthropocene as being mostly about climate change. In fact, climate change is only one aspect of much larger, more complex environmental and ecological meltdowns that challenge the planet's ability to support life. When you understand the full range and complexity of the many challenges we face, you can't help but understand the urgency with which we must, must act. It's more evident now than ever that the solutions we deploy must match the scale of the problems and predicaments we deploy them against. Caitlin Johnstone ponders the human condition. Julia Thomas suggests ways to navigate through the wreckage. And Jeffrey Smith compels us to act. Visionary thinkers all. Full stop. If we are to succeed as masters of climate change, we must first stop doing the things that cause climate change and start living our lives in ways that mitigate it. The, 
the policy wonks on Capitol Hill tell us we're on track to hit net zero carbon emissions by 2050. But that's not nearly aggressive enough to avoid the locked-in temperature rise of 3 degrees Celsius. We should strive for net negative carbon emissions by 2035 to have even a minimal margin of climate safety. And we must work cooperatively with each other and with other nations to achieve this goal. Climate change is a global problem that can only be solved on a global scale through global co cooperation. 2020 has been an especially shaky year for U.S. politics, which is always poised to pit the status quo against progress. The corporatocracy rules, the political drift to the radical right continues despite the election, and the USA has a distinction with 50% of its population living near or below the poverty line of being the poorest rich country in the world. It really sucks to be a working class American, doubly hard if you happen to be a working class American who can't find a job. Capitalism causes poverty among other problems and it offers no solutions save one. When you have a surplus population, get rid of it. But therein lie capitalism's fatal flaws. Capitalism needs a growing population to drive market expansion and increase profits, but thanks to innovations in mechanization, robotics, and artificial intelligence technologies, and advances in computer science, it no longer needs large human workforces to keep its factories running. The industrial and commercial sectors of the economy are shedding jobs at a rate that makes me think that artificial intelligence has already taken control. Unemployed people are the antithesis of a prosperous economy, yet here we are. Recent elections, the last one included, were not contrary to popular belief about Democrats versus Republicans. That myth got busted years ago when progressive pundits realized that the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are the two wings of the corporate party, that both parties act, act according to the dictates of the same corporate masters, and that both parties are well to the right of center. Both parties are moving society toward fascism, Republicans pulling, the Democrats pushing in the same direction. If you think government is bad now, think how much worse it will be when corporations have full control of it. At a deeper level, elections are about left versus right, as in communism and or socialism versus capitalism, in reference to economics, or democracy versus fascism, totalitarianism, despotism, theocracy, authoritarianism, oligarchy, plutarchy, plutocracy, uh, kleptocracy, corporatocracy, cacistocracy, etc., when referencing types of governments. At stake are the global economy, economic rights, global warming and climate change, the environment, endangered species and animal rights, human rights. The problems keep stacking up, as they have for decades, and no one in government seems able to effect solutions, and precious few are willing to try. While those precious few talk a good game, when the game ensues, they find it impossible to put their words into practice. The corporatocracy rules. Because of the pending climate emergency and a global pandemic, we, 
we meaning both ourselves as individuals and as society, find ourselves in a bit of a dilemma. As a society, we find ourselves racing toward a key intersection with our collective foot hard on the throttle to keep our overheated economic engine turning at maximum revs so that insanely rich get richer and more insane and the working class poor get left farther and farther behind. Straight ahead of us is the wall. The road to the right takes us toward fascism and ecosystem collapse, while the road to the left takes us to democratic eco-socialism, peace, and prosperity. For those who struggle to keep a roof over their head, put food on the table, get a useful education, and access to affordable health care, this is not a difficult choice. Capitalism is starving the consumers it depends on for growth out of the game. Capitalism provides a surefire formula for economic collapse or population collapse, probably both. There is no doubt that we must do something. The question is what? What road to the future will we choose? What road to the future will people be inclined to follow? In an effort to maintain the status quo, will they allow corporations to lead them down the road to the right, the Republican and centrist Democrat superhighway, to follow capitalism until it soon runs off, of the, off the cliff? Or will they come to a full stop then make a hard left turn to follow that road to democratic eco-socialism? Before we decide which road to follow, though, maybe we should explore what each road has to offer and, more importantly, to be mindful of where each road leads. Okay, so let's say we stay on the road we've been on for the last hundred years or so, continuing on as we have been, maintaining the status quo, our relentless exploitation of technology, our high-consumption lifestyles, our disregard for nature, our denial of reality. What do we gain from that? What's the upside? For most people, there is no upside. Under the capitalist system, environmental degradation will continue. Economic decline and economic hardship for most people will continue. Lack of access to affordable health care will continue. The decline of public education will continue. Stagnant wages will continue. Homelessness will continue, and many working-class and middle-class people, families in particular, will continue to suffer in their struggle to survive capitalism's self-serving greed. For these people, more than half the population, capitalism has no answers, no solutions, and no relief. Capitalism answers only to the bottom line and never to the people. The corporatocracy rules. Under the current system, future prospects for capitalists over the long term don't look any better than they do for the working class over the short term. As capitalism's internal support structures erode and collapse and the system implodes, billionaires will watch much of their wealth evaporate. Many of the institutions that billionaires depend on for wealth creation and wealth management will no longer be relevant in the emerging economy. That's not to say, not to imply that they should be put on life support. We simply don't need them. They are relics of a bygone era. Capitalism is about to evolve and it will drag capitalists along with it. Capitalism will become eco-socialism, just as feudalism became capitalism. And capitalists 
will become eco-socialists. Improved states of being on both accounts and a necessary part of human as well as economic evolution. While capitalism's rightward drift towards fascism paints a grim, dystopian portrait of what our future would look like under capitalism, a society organized under eco-socialism paints a portrait of a polar opposite society where no one lives extravagantly, but everyone lives well. That's not to say that everyone lives equally well. Those who do the most to benefit society, farmers, healthcare workers, and educators, for instance, will reap the better benefits. The point is that no one gets left behind. Everyone gets access to essential resources that enable or enhance life. Secure shelter, unadulterated food, clean water, adequate clothing, clothing and fresh air are critical to human well-being. So too are health care and education, healthy personal relationships and a sense of community. By maximizing human well-being, it will then be possible to maximize human potential. Help everyone to become the best possible version of themselves. Recognize and reward everyone's contribution to society. Full stop. Heartbreaking from terminal velocity to standstill in the shortest time possible without lockup can be a bit tricky. And no, anti-lock brakes don't count. A loss of traction indicates a loss of control, and a loss of control can quickly devolve into a situation from which no recovery is possible. Controlled deceleration is a way to avoid that. Modulate the brake pedal, firm pressure, but don't lock the wheels. You've got to maintain steering control. Balance, stability, adhesion. Those are the secrets to coming to a safe screeching halt. Minus the screech of tortured rubber, of course. In a sense, the same principles that apply to cars on a racetrack apply to economics as well. In the case of capitalism versus the environment versus climate change versus population growth, we must apply the brakes to the economy now before the wheels fall off. When capitalism fails, and it inevitably will, can it be brought to a safe stop before it hits the wall? If it hits the wall, will it then careen over the cliff? If it avoids contact with the wall, will it go straight over the cliff or will it miraculously avoid that dismal fate and just sputter along until it eventually, and quite literally, runs out of gas? What safety systems are in place? What other factors must we consider? What forces come into play? Do we have a backup plan? Can the system we devised to replace capitalism be implemented quickly, effortlessly, smoothly, and seamlessly so as to cause the least amount of disruption throughout the socioeconomic system as possible? Finally, what does all this look like when we clear away the rubble? What if we had a robust economic system that worked cooperatively instead of competitively throughout all parts of the system? How and to whom would the benefits of such a system be distributed? Is it even possible to evaluate such a system when there are no losers to compare the winners against? 
When we ask difficult questions and open our minds, simple solutions invite themselves in. Moving forward, what kind of economic system will we have? Will we cling to the status quo and continue on as we have been, towing the capitalist line until the global economy slams into an unforgiving wall of reality? Or will we, as a society, collectively wake up and realize that more of the same is not going to solve any of society's many problems? If capitalism could solve these problems, they never would have become problems in the first place. This time of pandemic and economic slowdown and widespread deprivation and hardship prevents the perfect, presents the perfect opportunity for us to evolve our government, our economy, and ultimately our society in ways that best serve people and the environment. Full stop. We need to act quickly and decisively if we hope to avert global climate change and environmental changes that will challenge our ability to survive and thrive. We humans must either evolve or go extinct. Before you choose between status quo or progress, there are two things you must understand. Superman ain't coming, and neither is God who plans to sit this one out. It's up to us, folks. It is we, the people, who will decide the fate of the world. Tick-tock, the clock is ticking and time is running out. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Science tells us that we must cut our annual carbon emissions to net zero within 20 years or suffer the consequences of three or more degrees of global warming locked in and all the negative climate impacts that come along with that. Net zero by 2040? Bullshit. We've got to do better than that. How about net negative by 2035? That's more in line with what we need to avoid extinction. We can only do this by changing the way we live in the world, but we've got to begin now. One thing we must all wrap our head around is that population growth is a primary driver of habitat destruction and environmental decline. Until we address that issue, everything else we do to avert the climate crisis will just be wasted effort. Financial incentives that induce people to practice efficient birth control methods are a quantum leap in the right direction. Shifting from a debt-based money supply to an asset-backed money supply is the key to making an eco-socialist economy work. In the past, socialism failed because capitalists wanted it to fail, and they did everything in their considerable power to ensure that it did. But capitalism has entered its terminal phase, and because of limits imposed by the immutable laws of physics, has no viable way forward. A properly structured eco-socialist economy can solve all of the problems that a capitalist economy can't, including the problem of stranded assets. From economic and social well-being standpoints, now would be the perfect time to make the transition. Socialism didn't create a dysfunctional economy. Capitalism did. Socialism didn't cause massive unemployment. Capitalism did. Socialism didn't cause mass homelessness. Capitalism did. Socialism didn't cause our educational system to flounder. Capitalism did. Socialism didn't impose the most expensive and inefficient healthcare system in the world on the American public. Capitalism did. 
socialism didn't cause the myriad of problems that now plague modern society. Capitalism did. Capitalism can't solve any of these problems. Eco-socialism can solve them all. Please explain to me again why you prefer capitalism to socialism. I just don't get it. Okay, I'm going to slam the door in this episode and change gears once again to set up for the next one. You've been listening to Full Stop, Hard Left Turn. I'm Phil Hansen, urging you to be safe, be well, be informed, and to keep raising your voice until you have one. Thank you.